Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, it's the Friday News Roundup. I'm with CityCast Mallory Falk and our guest, historian and writer David Rotenstein, talking about bridges, bikes, and bipartisanship. It's Friday, January 6th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. I'm here with lead producer Mallory Falk. Hello. Hey, and historian and writer David Rotenstein. Good morning. I've tried to do a few, incorporate a few new things into my routine. One of them was uh, finally driving over the Fern Hollow Bridge. I I had to let a few people go across it first. I didn't trust it because it was so new. But uh, (laughs) um, yeah, the Fern Hollow Bridge is back. Um, A lot of us are pretty excited about this development. But David, you recently wrote an article for Next Pittsburgh about what this reopening means for the Jewish community specifically. So um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So for the past, oh man, I guess it's about 12 years, I've been studying what are called Eruvs. And Eruv is a Hebrew term uh, roughly translated into mixture. And it's an architectural and engineering device that allows observant Jews to do ordinary things on heavily restricted uh, Sabbaths and high holidays. So for example, there are 39 rules governing work and 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 particular activities that, that observant Jews must adhere to. So that prohibits Jews from doing things like carrying car keys, pushing strollers, using canes, carrying food, carrying books. And Eruvs are a device that that rabbis came up with a couple of thousand years ago to create fictional courtyards to expand the domestic domain houses into the larger public sphere. Yeah, because I can I can imagine that's pretty limiting. Um, yeah, if you can't leave your house without a house key, right? Yeah. Sure. So the the eruv, you know, it it allows Jews to carry things in spaces that otherwise they, they, they wouldn't be allowed to. So it, it, it greatly uh, frees up uh, young mothers, for example, to push strollers to synagogue and to, mm-hmm. to friends' homes. And it allows uh, families to take food, to gather with other other people in, in different households. So it's this, it's this architectural and engineering device that rabbis came up with to accommodate expanding Jewish populations beyond you know, the earlier uh, Middle Eastern courtyard villages and cities, you know, as, as people grew in population and we spread out over the land, 
containing activities to the four walls of a courtyard or a house became increasingly more difficult. So how does how does Fern, the Fern Hollow Bridge fit into this? Sure. So Pittsburgh is one of dozens of cities in, in North America that, that has an A-roof. So in cities and suburbs throughout the United States, you have to have certain ingredients to to build your unbroken boundary to to have this 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 fictional courtyard. And in Pittsburgh, you know, the the Aruv designers, which started looking at putting an Aruv up in the late 1970s, came up with this really cool approach to, to building an Aruv here that uses utility poles and lines. So hmm. think think about a line of utility poles along a road. You have the poles which are the uprights, they form the the so the so-called fictional doorway, mm. and then the wires form a lintel, the, the horizontal. So in places where you don't have a continuous wall or a fence, these doorways perform the same function as, as, a, as a wall, if you will. And the Fern Hollow Bridge was incorporated into the Pittsburgh Aruv to ensure that there was an unbroken boundary leading from the core of the Jewish community in the Squirrel Hill area mm -hmm. to the eastern side of Frick Park. Yeah, it's funny because I mean, I had, I'm not observant to, to that degree, but I had friends growing up who did like rely on the Eruv on Shabbat. And it just, I think I never, like I always just assumed like, oh, this like, you know, some rabbi hundreds of years ago just kind of waved his hands and that was the space. And so thinking about it being like a much newer and much more like formal process, um, yeah. it's really interesting to learn that history. You know, even though Pittsburgh's had a Jewish population here since the mid 19th century, there hasn't been an Eruv in Pittsburgh uh, until the mid 1980s. And the collapse broke that unbroken boundary, or or it, it it potentially broke that unbroken boundary. After the collapse happened, rabbis rushed to the to the to the site to to see what the damage was because the collapse happened on a Friday morning, and mm. the Jewish Sabbath begins at sunset on on Friday evenings. So the rabbis quickly inspected the collapse site and found that the bridge had collapsed in such a way that the rubble formed an unbroken boundary at the bottom of the, the, the bridge um, superstructure. So they were able to incorporate that rubble into the air of boundary, thereby not, not creating any problems for the observant Jews for that Sabbath. And as the debris removal process progressed, the rabbis worked with the contractors and PennDOT to put up temporary strings and to use construction fencing to maintain that unbroken boundary. So in, in some respects, it was a very fortuitous way that the, the bridge collapsed. First of all, it was it didn't hmm. kill anybody, which is which is yeah. thankfully a, a wonderful thing. And then it also didn't create any disruptions to the to the observant Jews who rely on it to, to, to walk. Because even if a small segment of an Eruv boundary is broken, the entire Eruv boundary is considered not kosher, not good. I was thinking that I like the the scene of like I've probably seen like rabbis at the scene of like construction sites. And I think I've always wondered like what is going on? Like that's an odd scene. Um and to now know. So what like I said, I, I've been looking at these things and writing about them for a dozen years, and I've gone on ride-alongs with rabbis during that entire time. And it usually involves rabbis wearing reflective vests, hard hats, and you know they they because they're they're observant, they have the 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 trimmings of the the traditional Jewish garb with the tzitzit, the the strings that you see coming mm. down the, the the bottoms of the the coats and things. 
So the 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 it, it, it's fun. <laughs> I, I mean, riding along with with these rabbis who were steeped in deep Jewish tradition, looking at utility poles, wires, <laughs> fences, and and bridge supports. Yeah, I, th- I think the really exciting part of the story with the the Fern Hollow Bridge collapse is how closely city, state, and federal officials worked to not only get the bridge built, well, get the bridge designed and built in record time. It, it, the, the collapse was less than a year ago, and the bridge has already reopened right. traffic. Right. So that that was an incredible story on its own. And then the, the, the close ways that all of these parties that you wouldn't necessarily associate with, with each other, you know, Orthodox rabbis, engineers, yeah. safety officials working together to not only open this bridge, but ensure that the, the Pittsburgh's Jewish community has its a roof to, you know, keep up with, with weekly and, and, and daily life. Do you like to dance? Look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins, and so will everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm because this is a theme party. You want to come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend and rest assured every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. Well, speaking of leaders working together, <laughs> we have a statewide story related to that for you, right, Morgan? Yeah, yeah. This week, uh, the Pennsylvania House picked a new speaker. If if you're a gambling man, I feel like you would have lost or won big, depending on you know where you placed your bets. Um, but in a surprising bipartisan vote, Mark Rossi was picked as the chamber's new speaker. Democrats and more than like a dozen Republicans backed Mark Rossi, which is that is pretty surprising. Um, and he he's a registered Democrat, but he said he would be an independent speaker. Um, Pennsylvania lawmakers are hoping, you know, that this brings some unity to the state capitol. I'm a little skeptical, um, but, you know, it's optimistic, I feel like, to start off the new year with some hope. Yeah, we kind, we kind of were waiting all day for that announcement after the newly elected members were sworn in. It, it felt almost like, yeah, following a sports event or something, kind of like constantly (laughs) refreshing the feed, trying to see if there were any updates. Yeah. I was following um, Spotlight PA reporter Stephen Caruso. I was following his Twitter for a lot of these updates. And uh, yeah, around four o'clock, State Representative Jim Gregory, who's a Republican, uh, nominated Rozzi, then a second Republican did, um, and then uh, State Representative Joanna McClinton, who is from Philly. Um, But she actually 
went into this wanting to be the speaker herself. And, I, you know, I think if there were odds or favorites in this, a lot of people would have said that she would have been named uh, the speaker. But she also backed Rozzy. Most GOP lawmakers weren't, you know, really with this. They they tried to elect uh, Carl Metzger from Somerset, but Rossi ended up, you know, with 115, and Metzger had 85, so he won fair and square. David, were you were you following this as it unfolded? Oh, I have been. You know, this this is sort of like a spectator sport, the, <laughs> the the political world these days, and you know the the actions in Harrisburg were were playing out against the actions in in Washington on Capitol Hill. Yeah. And you know, they still don't have a speaker. They're they're no one knows what the outcome's going to be. Whereas here in Pennsylvania, we not only have a speaker, but we have a fully functional uh, legislative body. You know, the House of Representatives in 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 Congress can't even do business until they have their their speaker issue settled. Right. And that was that was uh what Jim Gregory actually those were his feelings as well. He was saying like it was getting to two thirty and um, you know, it seemed like the chamber was going to recess without having a speaker chosen um, when he nominated Rossi. Uh, we didn't know much about Mark Rossi when this was announced, but he was elected in 2012. He's an advocate for uh, survivors of childhood sexual abuse. He's a survivor himself. And um, Jim Gregory, who nominated him, uh, said he was also abused as a child and he's worked with uh, Rossi on the issue. So he said that they had been discussing the possibility of him running for speaker for months because they thought that he could really be the, you know, kind of impartial voice that that the House needs. So, um, yeah, it seems like we're starting out the year with the olive branch, you know, extended and and we'll see. We'll see how the rest of the year goes. Uh, oh, I think it's a good start. It, it's certainly a, a much better situation than they find themselves in in Washington. We mm. just have to say, I, th- I think Rossi's got a terrific uh terrific resume and personal biography that he brings to the brings to the position and just have to see how all of the the cards fall into place especially after the special elections are are resolved and things actually start getting moving yeah and the results of those special elections are going to be really important i mean we've talked about this on the show before but the democrats did take the house in the november election but their margin is really narrow and right now three of their seats are vacant um you know, as we've talked about, Tony DeLuca actually died, but then won re-election on the November ballot. And then two other Dems were elected to even higher office, so their seats are open. And so Democrats are expected to win all of those seats in those special elections, but they're really going to determine the balance of power in the House going forward. Yeah, it's been like a political soap opera watching this all unfold. Oh, I I think this is just a, a great story to start the the year out by, especially since we've all, you know, witnessed politics change over the past couple of years to see events like this that were usually, you know, ministerial, administrative, you know, nobody paid any attention to for the most part, except journalists and and political wonks. Now everybody's looking at at events like this. It does. I did think about this, that uh, if I had any job, I thought I would like to be speaker, speaker of the house. I think that would, <laughs> I think that would suit me. Um, that or the whip, just because I think I can get people together too. So, what is it about speaker that appeals to you? I, I you know, I think I'd get up there with a nice little outfit. I have my gavel. You know, I don't, I don't know anything about <laughs> politics. I don't know what I'd be doing, but you know, I'd be the face of it, and that's good enough. Other things I, you know, don't know how to do are ride a bike, but I still 
want to go to, you know, bicycle heaven. Yeah, uh, I think you can really appreciate Bicycle Heaven, even if you're not a bike rider yourself. For those that don't know, it's this incredible bike museum and vintage bike shop on the north side. It's kind of like a bicycle wonderland when you walk in. I've never been. Yeah. Have you ever been, David? All the time. It's actually, I, I ride my bike all over Pittsburgh. So it's it's on one of my favorite routes along the, the Ohio River. And it's it's a terrific place. I not only I not only have visited the museum as a museum consumer, but I've gotten my bike repaired there. Mm, Yeah. And I think, you know, when I say that you don't have to be an avid biker to go there, it is a great place to bring the bike for repairs, to geek out. But it's also there's just an incredible collection of bikes there. Pee Wee Herman's bike is there. There are these wooden bikes dating back to the late 1800s. Um, It has the first ever fiberglass bicycle. There's like around, I think, 6,000 bikes in this place. And so even if you're not, you know, scoping out a bike for yourself, there's just a lot to take in. Um, But the reason I bring it up is because it actually needs some support from the community right now, because unfortunately there was a flood there on Christmas Eve and the museum and shop has sustained some damage. Was that like that was during that cold snap when it was negative whatever it was here it was awful yeah yeah that like that really severe cold snap it seems like um, a pipe burst there during that time and so now there's a bunch of water damage and bicycle heaven is trying to raise some money um, for repairs so that it can be operational again was peewee herman's bike destroyed or like what's the what yeah what is the level of damage that's there because that seems like such a cool place that would be so unfortunate Yeah, I mean, fortunately, it seems like the bikes are okay. Like some of them are going to need to be detailed and cleaned. Mm -hmm. But um, most of the flooding happened in the basement. The main floor did get a few inches of water. So it seems like the biggest things that are going to need to get replaced are um, some of the flooring and all of the carpet. And then sadly, even though it seems like the bikes were okay, some vintage bike parts did get water damaged and some other like memorabilia. This place has a lot of artwork and just different like bike related items that the owner, Craig Murrow, has been, you know, collecting. I mean, he started collecting bikes in the 80s. He opened this the spot in 2011. But so there was there were a lot of treasures there and some of those themselves did get damaged. But fortunately, I think Pee Wee's bike was spared. Oh, thank goodness. What's really exciting is to see the the community leaping in here to to help out. They started a GoFundMe with a target of $100,000, and now they're at 13300 mm-hmm. So, you know, unfortunately, the the insurance coverage for, for facilities like this isn't, isn't what it needs to be. And especially when you're running a private museum, you have other things to take into account, like you have priceless artifacts in there. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to be easily replaced. And, and when you're, right. you're renting a space like that, you know, that just adds a, 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 an additional layer of, of burden on the on the proprietor. Yeah. And in terms of you bring up like priceless artifacts and, and I've seen some interviews with Craig saying also like there's things he just doesn't have receipts for that he can't like provide to an insurance company because of the way some of these items have been required. So right. there's not, you know, the same kind of documentation as you might expect in some other shop. Um, and, but that's also part of why I wanted to, you know, bring up this story. David, you mentioned this is a private museum. Something that's really special about it is, you know, it's this private museum that attracts people from all over the country, but admission is free. 
it really depends on community support and donations, um, but keeps the cost free for everybody. And I've just been thinking about, you know, as we start to, we're going to see more and more extreme weather events. You know, that was, that cold snap seemed pretty extreme for for Pittsburgh in December. I know, um, you know, this flooding was from a burst pipe, but more, you know, we're expected to see more flooding, heavier rains in the future here in Pittsburgh. Um, as we deal with climate change. And so thinking about how do we look out for and protect, you know, small businesses or, or small spaces and community gems like this one as we start to see more places be vulnerable to extreme weather events. Sure. So, you know, one of one of the amazing things about the, the Bicycle Heaven Museum is that it is a free museum and it's not just it, it's not just visited by people from from all over the United States. They have a global uh global following and mm. unlike prized cultural institutions like the the smithsonian and the many museums on the mall in washington dc that are also facing flooding and climate change issues you know they have the washington museums have the full weight of the federal government and all that that support that goes with it mm. bicycle heaven is is relying on gofundme and the goodwill of of people in pittsburgh to get back on its feet and hopefully plan for future weather-related events so that this doesn't happen again. Yeah, and so if anybody wants to kind of help ensure that this space can continue, that the damage can be repaired, we're gonna link to the GoFundMe in our show notes so that if you're interested in contributing, you can find find it there. And make donations, I guess, to, to keep that cool little piece of history or alive. David, thank you so much for joining us today. That was uh, very interesting, the conversation around the air I never knew much about it, and um, I had a lot more questions than that, but I will uh, take it to the article for answers. Well, thank you for inviting me. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Our team this week includes Mallory Falk, Elizabeth Kama, Francesca DeBecco, and me, Morgan Moody. Music is by Benji, and we'll be back on Monday with more news from around the city, so we'll see you then. Have a good weekend. My uh, sixth grade Latin failed me in that moment. Okay. (laughs)